right, good morning. Welcome to Directional Bible Ministries. My name is Dwayne Spearman, and today is August, no, October the 1st. Um, September's over. Today is uh, October the 1st. Uh, this is a teaching ministry that is called Encourage, Disciple, and Challenge the People of God. So, um, we are working our way through the book of Acts, uh, chapter number 20. We're going to wrap up with that chapter today, I do believe. Um, so let's go ahead. Uh, last time we got down, looks like we got down to around verse number 31. So let's look for context here in uh, verse number 29, where Paul is um, saying farewell to the Ephesian elders. And he knows in verse number 29, For this I know that after my departing, after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Um, the word grievous means weighty. In other words, they will be dangerous, so much so that they would um, not be easily resisted. I look back on my typing, and it's quite tragic. Uh, I do correct all this when I put it over onto the website, by the way. <laughs> um, actually, Esor does not have a spell check on it, so it doesn't catch it until I copy and paste it over to uh, to, to the blog, and then it, it tells me all the things that I've spelled wrong and... Um, and everything that you've seen. <laughs> so, grievous wolves, uh, not easily resisted. Barnes, uh, Albert Barnes points out that the term wolves is used to denote enemies of the flock, false, hypocritical, dangerous teachers, uh, just like those referred to in Matthew chapter 10, verse number 16, when our Lord said, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. So Paul knew uh, that they were going to be attacked after he left, um, but interestingly, not from the outside, but from within. Um, and of course, anybody that's pastored any amount of time knows that you spend most of your time fighting sheep, not wolves. <laughs> um, sheep well-meaning as some of them may be, um, you spend a lot of time, uh, I think pastors, uh, Pastor Chuck Smith used to warn senior pastors about engaging the sheep from within. Um, he, uh, he was pretty much against spending a whole lot of time counseling um, sheep. Um, he would always say appoint somebody else over those matters because if you get uh, bogged down in it, you'll never get out of it. Uh, plus, when everything goes wrong, they're going to blame you anyway. <laughs> so, uh, so Paul knew that they were being, going to be attacked after he left, and he knew that uh, it was going to be the unbelieving Jews uh, that were doing it. Um. The uh, yeah, you're right, man. Stubborn mules, those sheep can be. Um, yeah, it's it's hard to herd sheep, is it not? Uh, you herd cattle, you lead sheep, 
and even then they don't always follow. Um, so, um, but I believe he's referring to the unbelieving Jews here that they were the ones causing all the problems. Matter of fact, when we get down to the end of this chapter, we're going to see that, you know, Paul had already pointed out that he knew what awaited him in Jerusalem. And again, it wasn't the Gentiles that were waiting to to come against him in, in Jerusalem. It was Jews. It was his, uh, his fellow Jews. Um, I believe unbelieving Jews were Paul's worst enemy. Uh, also, the words enter in among you, again, seems to imply that this would not be a full frontal assault, but an infiltration. And I believe that is where the church is in trouble today. It has been infiltrated. Um, George Barna, um, years ago, gave a poll that he believes six out of ten uh, in the average evangelical church in America was lost. Um, that's uh, that's sixty percent <laughs> of any congregation. And he's talking about Bible teaching, you know, evangelical con congregation. 60% of them, 6 out of 10 of them are, are truly lost. Um, that number's probably low. <laughs> um, again, it's just, you know, we're not teaching the, the Bible anymore in our churches. Uh, we're teaching everything but. Um, we're... And even those that are teaching the Bible, I have come to believe, are teaching a contradictory message. They're, they're trying to couple the kingdom and the grace gospels together. And um, you have people running around that think they're saved just because they, they quote, repented. They went down uh, to the front at the end of the service when the preacher said every head out bowed and every eye closed. They're... They've put their faith in themselves. They've put their faith in their church. I remember years ago, Billy Graham was being interviewed by Barbara Walters, and um, she asked him, what would he do differently if he had the opportunity to do it again? And he said, I would have made it harder. And, um, of course, she asked him to explain that, and he said, he just he knows that the vast majority of people that came forward at his crusades were not truly saved. Um, and what he was referring to, and if you've ever been involved in a Billy Graham crusade, they have these altar counselors. I was involved in one one time when I when I lived in South Carolina. I think it was in Georgia where they were doing it. Um, these altar counselors, you go down, you get trained. And, um, and as, you know, they start playing Just As I Am, which is Billy Graham's famous altar call song, um, the counselors are told when to move. Um, for example, I want this group to move as soon as the music starts. I want this group to move on the second verse. I want this group to move on the third verse. Um, and, of course, I guess the primary reason for that is to get them down front so they can start, you know, waiting for those who would follow. But the problem is, and Billy Graham realized this too, that their moving emboldened people around them to move, uh, not necessarily under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, uh, not for the right reasons. 
Uh, and he realized that many of them moved to the front. They were just following uh, instead of stepping out on their own, uh, instead of stepping out alone with no one to hold their hand. Um, and again, I mean, there's nothing wrong with altar calls. I've in my in my old age, I've moved away from them. Um, I think there there is a lot of emotionalism involved uh, in altar calls. I've done it. I've done it. I, I've felt the pressure to get people down to the front. I, I've felt it. Um, and really, is that what saves the person? No, it's not. Uh, going down to the front is not salvific. I mean that. The Bible says, if you believe, if you believe, uh, what if they believe they've they've already been saved before the sermon's even over. As soon as they place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, they've been they've been saved. Um, it's not the altar call. And again, I, I think I understand. I'm not saying Billy understood the difference between the two, but I think that that's, in my opinion, uh, I think he was just saying that people are emboldened. They go forward just because they're following, not because they're necessarily under conviction. Uh, they may, may be under guilt, but they're not truly moving under the promptings of the Holy Spirit. But my argument is that if you're saved, you're saved the moment you believe. That may be five minutes into that message. That may be 10 minutes into that message. That may be three days after that message. Uh, you're saved by belief, not by um, repenting and being baptized and going down to the throne of an altar. Uh, so again, I, I, I shy away from those now. I just, I don't, I don't do it. Um, I may ask them if I can pray for them, a time of commitment. Maybe they believe that the Lord is wanting them to do something, I'll be happy to talk to them. But I shy away from, you know, if you believe, come down front, or if you want to, if you want to accept the Lord, come down to the front. If you want to accept the Lord, come down to the front. Well, the moment they believed, they've accepted the Lord. Um, so again, I, I think all altar calls aren't biblical. By the way, that was the Wesley brothers that came up with that. Uh, as a means of tracking. Uh, and, of course, Billy Graham followed suit with that as well. So I don't know how I got off on that, but uh, Altar Calls 101. Um, but um, so Paul realizes that their persecution was going to come from within. Uh, it will come from those who come in among them uh, and speak uh, perverse uh, things uh, to draw away disciples after them. And I've seen it. You've seen it. Uh, people come in and people start flocking around them. And you start to quickly realize that that Sunday school class is going off the rails and you've got to step in. You know, I, I think that's why home Bible studies and things like that, you know, very hard time getting those things off the ground uh, because, um normally you just don't have the right people to do that. You know, you want to, just because you want to start home fellowship groups on Wednesday night, well, make them home fellowship groups. Don't make them Bible studies because most people aren't versed enough uh, 
to be teaching a Bible study, you know, and you're going to end up with trouble. Because most Bible studies, I hate to say it, but the way they start out is they sit around in a circle, they sit around in their chairs, and somebody will read some verses completely out of context, and then they'll say, what does that say to you? And then they'll start hypothesizing, going around the group, talking about what that says to them. Well, that's not the way you teach the Bible. That's how you come up with heresy. And that's and that's usually what happens in most home Bible studies that churches um, try to start, unfortunately. That's why they don't work. Um, so they, uh, again, according to the verse here, um, they will come in, they will rise, they will speak perverse things and draw people away after after themselves. Um, the word perverse means to distort, to corrupt, to misinterpret. Um, again, a text out of context is a pretext, and that goes along around a lot today. And then verse number 31, Therefore watch, and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone uh, night and day with tears. So, in lieu of that, the lieu, in lieu of the wolves, they will come. They will rise up from within. You need to watch for them. And you need to remember what I told you because they're going to come. You need to be watchful because they will come sooner or later. Watch for them and remember what I taught you in regards to these inevitable dangers that will come. And again, Paul spent more time with the Ephesians than any other group in his ministry. And he says, I cease not to warn you about this night and day with tears. And the word warn means to set in place, to put in mind, to caution, to reprove, to admonish. I warned you night and day that this would happen. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among them that are sanctified. So Paul now commends them to God and to the word of his grace. And he says, I'm doing this for two reasons, that it might build you up and give you an inheritance among all them that are sanctified. Now, again, I believe the context is Jewish. Uh, they are the ones to whom the inheritance is given. <clears throat> Remember that the Jews are the heirs of the covenants of promise, not the Gentiles. Uh, we are the heirs according uh, to the promise and not according to the law. So <clears throat> Paul here is speaking to the Jews. They are the ones that are the heirs. Uh, they are the ones that are going to receive the inheritance of the covenant. They are the heirs of the covenants, not the Gentiles. And I think in context, again, Paul is speaking to Jews. I, I don't know how proper it is to refer to ourselves as heirs. But again, I'm not ready to start, start, a, uh, start anything on that. That's definitely something I think we need to uh, study a little more. Brethren, I commend you to God, to the word of his grace that is able to build you up, to give you an inheritance among them that are sanctified. Um, 
So again, they're the ones that are the heirs of the covenants of promise. And he says, I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Paul is saying that he did not do anything that he did for them uh, for gold or silver or apparel. And we see that all throughout Paul's ministry. In 2 Corinthians 12, 14, Behold, the third time I'm ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you, for I seek not yours, but I seek you. Okay. In uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 12, he says, If others be partakers of this power over you, are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Um, so he says, I, I never charged you uh, for ministering to you. I never coveted your silver or your gold. Um, and as a young pastor, I really struggled with... Um, with taking gifts from people. Um, I remember I was, I'm talking my, right after I got out of the military in the uh, early 90s, and I was going down to uh, assist a preacher in churches in lower South Carolina. And at the, and I would take my guitar and he would play the piano and, and then he would preach. And, you know, I was, I was his Timothy um, and we'd go into the tobacco fields in Kingsway, South Carolina, places like that, and we would minister to the um, the immigrant workers, the migrant workers that were working in the tobacco fields, which <clears throat> were all Hispanic, mostly Mexican. And he was a Mexican pastor from South Texas. And uh, many times these poor people would walk up with their tobacco-stained hands from picking these tobacco leaves, and they would place money in my hand. You know how when you shake somebody's hand and you got a bill folded up in there, <clears throat> and I remember, no, 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 and, I, and I'd push it back because I'm thinking, you know, you need this more than I do. And I remember Fidel was his name. He rebuked me harshly. <laughs> He said, God put it on that person's heart to give you that. And you take it and die to your pride and don't deny that person of that blessing. You know, and, you know, just totally changed my outlook, you know, because I, you know, I wouldn't take it because I wasn't coveting their silver or their gold. That doesn't mean they can't do it. That doesn't mean you can't accept it and, and allow God to use them. But Paul says that wasn't my primary motivation. It wasn't my primary motivation for sure. But notice he also said apparel, silver and gold or clothing. <laughs> um, Bullinger says that it expresses stateliness, clothing, the apparel expresses stateliness more so than himation, which is a type of clothing worn by the ancient Greeks. In other words, uh, clothes makes the man. In other words, um, you know, you dress for success. Uh, in other words, Paul said, I didn't take anything from you that would uh, elevate me over you. Uh, I didn't take your money, I didn't take your gold, I didn't take your silver, I didn't take your clothing. I believe Paul was someone that uh, uh, 
did not look necessarily like the average pastor today. Uh, and then verse 34, Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. We know from previous verses that Paul used his tent-making skills to support himself. So he did not rely on their gold or their silver. And of course, we have you know, uh, verse after verse where Paul labored with his own hands uh, so that they would not have to support him. And that doesn't mean that you can't live. Those who feed the sheep should live. Those who teach the gospel should live with the gospel. It's not saying that this is just Paul. This was what God was doing in Paul's life. Verse 35, I have showed you all things so that in laboring you ought to support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said is more blessed to give than receive. So now Paul says that he has shown them not only by instruction, but by example all things. Again, I believe this refers to the fact that Paul supported himself through his trade instead of relying on others to support him so that he could minister to them without charge. And then it says, the Lord said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That is not found in any of the Gospels. Um, More blessed to give than to receive. This is the only place I see that um, in the Bible. Um, so, you know, but he said the Lord said it. So, um, and then verse 36, and when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all and they were all sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words that he spake that they should not see his face no more. And they accompanied him unto the ship. So obviously, there's tremendous love both ways between Paul and the Ephesians. Uh, remember in Acts 20:22 20, that he told them, uh, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost tells me that I'll be in bonds and afflictions, uh, but this does not move me, neither do I count myself, my life dear unto myself. Um, and I know that I will see your, you will see my face no more. Um, so he knew what was waiting for him in Jerusalem and he would not see them anymore. Um, and it would be his brethren who would do this to him. Um, again, the Jews in Jerusalem were going to, were going to rise against him because Paul preached. Paul's preaching was an indictment against them. Why did the unbelieving Jews hate what Paul had to say? And I don't think it was so much the grace gospel that the unbelieving Jews um, had a problem with. I mean, they could have cared less about the Gentiles. It was the kingdom gospel that Paul preached that they had rejected, that they had killed their Messiah. Uh, that was the indictment against them. Barnes, and I'll close with this, points out three things from these verses. Uh, parting ministers and people is a most solemn event and should be one of much tenderness and affection. I can understand that. I've done that uh, on many occasions. There is a spiritual bond, and I do believe that you are closer to your spiritual family many times than you are your biological family. Number two, the effect of true religion. I'm I'm humored when people say uh, Christianity is about a relationship, not a religion. 
Um, no, Christianity is true religion. <laughs> There's a relationship there too, um, but I can have a relationship without uh, religion. True religion is to make the heart more tender, to make friendship more affectionate and sacred, and to unite more closely the bonds of love. Uh, again, I mean, I, you'll never be closer. Uh, I think of, um, um, you know, um, David and Jonathan, that relationship that they had. Um, ministers of the gospel should be prepared to leave their people with the same consciousness of fidelity and the same kindness and love which Paul did. Uh, they should live such lives as to be able to look back on their whole ministry as pure and disinterested and as having been employed in guarding the flock and making them known to them the whole counsel of God. So parting, they may separate in peace, and so living and acting, they will be prepared to give up their account with joy and not with grief. So no doubt this was a hard time for Paul as he was leaving the Ephesians. Paul did try to come back one more time. In my study, I remember seeing it. He told Timothy that he wanted to go back, um, but he never did. Um, he never did. Um, I can't remember where it was, but in Timothy, he told him that he wanted to come back and see him, but as far as we know, Paul never, ever made it back to Ephesus. Um, even after he went to Rome and was released that first time, he never made it back to Ephesus. So uh, that's uh, chapter number 20. God bless you guys. Good to see you as usual. God bless you, Mac. I hope you're doing well, my brother and Scott. Um, God bless you as well. And um, um, I appreciate you guys. And uh, that wraps up chapter number 20, and we'll look into... Uh, Chapter number 21, starting tomorrow morning. God bless you. Hope you have a great day.